Well, I'm so glad you came to church this morning. And uh, so good, always good to be with you and uh, to be in church together. I'm excited about the sermon series that we're in. We started a sermon series last week called Fresh Start. And uh, before, before I jump right in, I do want to say thank you for thank, thank you to everyone for the, the nice cards. And if I haven't read them yet, I assume they're nice. I hope they're nice. It's, uh, but no, I appreciate that, and it means a lot. Really does mean a lot in, in ministry. A lot of times you get all kinds of feedback, so good to have encouraging feedback from time to time. Amen. So I appreciate all of you and love pastoring this church. Jen and I love, can't imagine ourselves doing anything else, and uh, just love all of you and appreciate all of you so much. But in our series, Fresh Start, we started last week talking about. Uh, man's value or, or man and woman's value to God and really just setting that tone for believing that you're worth a fresh start believing that God even wants to give you a fresh start and this week uh, so if you're having trouble believing that I would encourage you to go back and listen to week one I'm not going to try to reconvince you all over again but this week what we're going to focus on is the the path of res restoration and the path of a fresh start because just because you want a fresh start uh, just because you you wish that you could do things over again and just because it's available to you it doesn't mean it's going to happen okay there's a there's there are steps and the bible lays those steps out for us and god like i've like i've said before god is so good at giving us a fresh start he's the master of it he's many of you could testify to that many many of you could talk about um you know the the value uh, and the, uh, the amazing power of God for a fresh start. And um, so it's just, it's so important to keep that faith and keep that hope um, alive so that we know, you know, and, and can believe that God can work and move in our, in our lives like that. And it's just, it's so, it's so crucial. So I want to just, I want to talk to you about what that path is and I want to just kind of lay out a few steps for you. And it's, it's going to be very simple. It's not going to be something that you haven't heard before. But you're going, to, you're going to recognize some of it. But maybe we're going to dive into it in a little bit of a way that you, you haven't thought about before. So the very first step to beginning a fresh start with God is repentance. Now, repentance is not quite as simple as it sounds. Because most people, when they think about repentance, they just think about an apology. Right? They think about saying, I'm sorry. Uh, and that's really not how the Bible looks at repentance, even though that is part of it. We're going to get into that. But I want to talk to you about what true repentance is. One of the reasons why repentance is not as easy as it sounds is because true repentance requires true humility. And true humility is hard to come by. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, tr true humility is very hard to come by. If you're struggling with pride and arrogance in your life, repentance is not going to come easy to you. We've all experienced this, right? We've all experienced this where we know we're wrong, and we know what we need to say, and we know what we need to do, but the humility required to execute that just seems like, I can't bring myself to say I'm sorry. I want to say it. I know I'm wrong, but it's just I can't bring myself to that point. Well, what you're struggling with is finding the humility required for that apology. Repentance 
You can't even have repentance without having humility. Yeah, sure, you can have some surface apology that doesn't mean anything. But I'm talking about you can't, you can't truly repent without having true humility in your life. What happens if you try to repent when you haven't been humbled yet? Well, everybody around you recognizes that it's not a true repentance. Everybody knows. And this is why in many of our marriages there's arguments over this. Well, I said I'm sorry. You know, keep going. Well, I already said I'm sorry. But what, if the other person could put it into words, what they're trying to say is, yeah, and it didn't mean anything. Because it didn't come from the right heart, and it didn't come from a place of humility. You just said, I'm sorry, because you're tired of arguing. That don't count. But we all can recognize it. We all know. We know it in our kids. We know it in our spouse. We know it in, we know it in people around us that we work. We know when we get a true apology and when somebody's truly repentant. Why? Because it's always accompanied by true humility. And I'll just give you this little bit of a pro tip, you know, if you're, if you're married. Okay, and you and you comp- one of your complaints about your spouse is that they go on and on and on and on when something's wrong or you've done something wrong, and you just think, my God, they just go on and on and on. Listen, you can cut that whole process short. Just find a little bit of humility and acknowledge what you've done. That's what they're waiting for. You know why people go on and on? They go on and on because they they can tell you don't get it, and they go, well, I already explained it this way, but they don't get it, so I'm gonna say it this way now. Oh, they still don't get it. Okay, now I'm going to say it this way. because I'm tra- And they're going to find seven different ways to say it until you finally get it. So here's what I, w- I would suggest. This isn't my sermon, by the way. This is just free. This is what I suggest. If that's one of your complaints, you need to acknowledge what you did, and you need to become really good at repeating it back to you. Say, you know, I'm sorry for this because when I did this, you probably felt this way, and it did this, and this all the problems it caused. You do that, everybody shut up real quick. Okay. Because now they can see you got it. Until then, they can see they don't have it. So I've got to keep repeating myself, which is not a great habit, by the way. But I'm just saying that's why it happens. <clears throat> anyway, back to, back to the, real, the real sermon here. So we're going to talk about the stages of repentance. Because as I said, repentance is not as simple as it sounds. We're going to talk about the, the stages of repentance from a biblical perspective. Stage one of true repentance is just awareness. It's becoming fully aware of what you did, okay, who it hurt, how it violated God's word, how, how it broke relationship, the consequences for other people that it caused, the pain, the hurt, etc., of, of those types. So becoming aware of that. Now, a lot of people want to rush through this step. This is why when somebody's trying to make things right, most of the time they just want to get straight to, okay, I'm sorry, fine. But you see, you can't actually repent until you're aware of what you're repenting for. And this is part of the problem. This is what people don't, this is what a, a lot of people don't understand about repentance. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, and this has happened many times, but I remember one instance specifically a few years ago where my flights, I forget even where I was going, but I had a flight that got canceled. And I became aware of this process because I I, I had gotten up early. I had to get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning. I had plans. It was a one-day trip. I was meeting someone. We were going to an event. And so when my flight got canceled, all of that got upended, right? Uh, We were going to miss the event, and there's no way to recover from that. You know, we were going to miss the event. The whole weekend was ruined. Everything was, 
change by the flight. And so you're talking to the people on the phone on the airline, and they say, oh, we're so sorry for the inconvenience, Mr. McElwee. And it just doesn't do anything because you're not actually aware of the problems that you caused me. So I don't know what you're apologizing for because you don't even know the problems that you got. You're acting like, oh, you can just get on the next flight. No, it doesn't work like that. You ruined months of planning. And I don't get to tell you that, or maybe, maybe I could, but it ain't going to do no difference. I'm just talking to somebody on the telephone that doesn't have it. They didn't do it. They didn't cause it, right? And they really can't do much about it. So what's it going to do to good? But the apology doesn't mean anything because you really don't know what you're apologizing for because you don't know all the difficulty and all the pain that you caused me. And see, this is how it is a lot of times with repentance. People are like, well, I said I'm sorry. Yeah, but you're not aware of what you did. You're not aware of all the problems and all the hurt and all the pain and all the consequences that I've had to deal with because of you. So a lot of times people want to rush over this because, they're go- because our mindset is, well, we, you know, we, the, the gospel is all about love and, and forgiveness and mercy. But let me just tell you, don't skip this step. Don't skip this step where if you are, if you are, if you've made a mess of things in your life. Now, I'm not just talking about, oh, you know, I said a crossword to my spouse. Don't, don't worry, all this applies to that too. But we're talking about if you really need a fresh start because you've made a mess of things. Don't skip this step. You have to become aware of what you did first or else you can't even really repent because you don't know what you're repenting for. You have to become aware of what you did, who you hurt, the pain that was caused before you can truly repent. Because, by the way, repentance is turning exactly from whatever it was that you did. And if you don't know what that is, what are you, what are you turning from? That's what I would call partial repentance. And I'll say this, your, your repentance is only as good as your awareness. Because if you're, you're only repenting for what you're aware of. So it's only, if you only have partial awareness, then you only have partial repentance. If you only understand 30% of what you did, you can only repent for 30%. The other 70% is still out there. Somebody's still, still, still hurting. They're still needing repentance from you on that because you didn't, you didn't become fully aware of what you, what you did. So don't rush through this step. Psalm chapter 51, verse 3. All of Psalm chapter 51 is an awesome passage with tons to be learned on forgiveness and repentance because it's the psalm that David wrote after he became aware from Nathan the prophet. You remember the story? Nathan the prophet came to David and he made him aware of what he did. Now David already knew mentally about what he'd done. He knew what happened with Bathsheba. He knew about Uriah, so he knew the facts. But it took Nathan coming and presenting it from another angle and saying, this is what it really looked like to God when you did this. And it was that awareness that pushed David into repentance. And so, this, and so Psalm chapter 51 is David writing after he's become aware of what he's done. And he says this in verse 3. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now, Someone who's still walking in pride will read this and they go, See, you just want to hang my transgressions over my head. You just, you just want to have my sin in front of me and keep me condemned and ashamed all the time. No, restoration's coming. But we got to start here. And this is what I think a lot of people miss. 
Oh, you just want me to feel bad for my sin. I do <laughs> at first because you won't experience true repentance without it. And I'm going to show you that from the Word. The first step is awareness. Hey, restoration's coming, but it's going to be a process to get there. See, if you had a few years ago also, I had, uh, I had surgery on one of my knees. Some of you remember that because I think I was preaching up here with like a leg propped up or something like that. But I had surgery on one of my knees. And, you know, so something happened to damage it. Then there's this whole process of recovery. And if you've ever been through anything like that, you know, you know what that's like. It's a very frustrating process. And everything in you, all you want to do is either get back to where you were or just get, get better than you are now. You just want to get to that end point of where, okay, finally it functions and it doesn't hurt and it works right. Hey, look, some of you are going, you're only 40. You ain't seen nothing yet. Just wait. I could talk to you about aches and pains, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But it's a process of getting recovery. And, and in that process, it's very frustrating. And it's especially frustrating having to deal with the pain and the physical therapy and the not being able to do what you want to do. And everything in you is just screaming, please get me to this, this end point down here. Well, you're going to get there, but it's a very painful process first. And some of us, you know, we caused that injury through bad choices and bad decisions. Some of us some of us, we did think, we knew our shoulder was wearing out. We knew our knee, and we kept pushing, kept pushing, and kept until finally the thing, you know, it needed surgery. And many of us is like that. We, we push, we push, we push, and then there was a catastrophic failure. And you think it's going to just get back to perfect as if nothing happened overnight? It doesn't work like that. There's a painful process to get back to that point of restoration. But what I want you to know is God lays out that process in Scripture. It's, it's perfect. If you'll follow God's way, he's just like a physical therapist, even better, that can come in and say, do this, do this, now work on this, and you'll get back to that place of health. He can do it for anybody. Listen, there's no situation in this room this morning that God can't work that process for. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how many relationships you've ruined. I've, I've already said to you last week, there's, there's always a fresh start with God. Always. But we've got to understand the process. So David said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, he's in this place of grieving over his sin. He hasn't, he hasn't got to the place of restoration yet. He's still hurting. He's still in pain over his sin. Why? Because repentance is the first step. And you can't experience true repentance without grieving over your sin. If all you're focused on is everybody else getting over it, you're not ready to repent. If all you can talk about and think about is how, well, you ought to let it go. Oh, well, you, you ought to forgive. Listen, you ain't, it's not your job to worry about them. It's your job to worry about you. Don't worry about what everybody else ought to do. This is between you and God. And I'll tell you that when you do your part and you do what you're supposed to do, God will bring that restoration into your life. So the first stage of true repentance is becoming fully and completely aware of what it was exactly that you did, who it hurt, the pain it caused, the consequences, the cleanup, the mess that everybody else had to deal with because of you. Becoming aware of that. Second step, oh, we're having fun this morning. I knew we were going to have fun this morning. 
Second step this morning is the pain and the sorrow and the grief that come as a result of your awareness. You can't skip this. You can't skip this step. When you become fully aware of your sin, it will cause pain, sorrow, and grief in your heart. In some cases, it will even cause regret. It will cause shame. It will cause condemnation. But here's what you need to know. God's going to walk you through all of that. But do not skip this step. Do not skip this step. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul had uh, written a letter to the Corinthians. And he really, he really hit them hard because they had some immorality and things going on in Corinth that just had to be dealt with. Uh, you know, sexually immoral things that were going on. And so Paul, he laid it out and he was hard. He was hard. He was harsh. He even told, I, mean, I think there was a point where he told him, he said, you guys are worse than the pagans. You know, he said, you're supposed to be Christians. He said, the, even the pagans don't do what you're doing. So he hit them hard. And I mean, he was kicking people out of the church. He was excommunicating people. It was, it was, it was hard. So now he's writing a second letter to them. And he sort of feels bad because there's been some time. So he's, he's, he's sort of feeling bad about how hard he was on them. Pay very close attention to what he says. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Do you see that? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I felt bad when I laid, I, I, I felt bad when I hit you right between the eyes with the truth. Because I saw how, how much it grieved you and how hurt you were by it. And I started feeling bad. But then I came to my senses and I realized, sometimes that pain is required to move somebody whose heart is hard to repentance. And he said, so it grieved me at first. I, I regretted it because I saw it grieved you. But then, actually, he said, I began to rejoice because I saw that you were grieved into repenting. Where does that grief come from? How did that grief come? It came from Paul making them aware. It came from Paul saying, what are you doing? Here's, what, here's how you're hurting the, the name of Jesus. Here's how you're hurting the church. Here's how you're hurting God. Here's how you're hurting each other. He laid it out. He made them aware. It caused them to grieve. But he said, now I rejoice because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. Did you know that grief could be godly? Did you know that pain and sorrow over your sin could be coming from the Holy Spirit on the inside of you? Not condemnation. We'll get to that in a minute. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn, but He does convict. There's a difference we could talk about. I'll go ahead and, and mention this because it, it's, it's short. Condemnation is what you experience after you have already truly repented, but then you still feel bad. See, God doesn't bring that. That's, that the Bible says that condemnation is from the devil. If you've already been through this process and you've repented, and you still try to shame and regret and condemnation still try to come on you, that's condemnation. Conviction comes before you've repented. Conviction comes, conviction is from the Holy Spirit to say, hey, you haven't repented of this and you need to. 
And that, that uneasy feeling that you get, that pain, that uncomfortableness that you get before you've repented, that's conviction, and it is from God. Satan doesn't convict people of sin because he doesn't want them to repent. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn people after they have repented because now they're the righteousness of God and he, he wants them to walk the path of restoration. So conviction comes before you've repented from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from Satan after you've already repented and, and your sin has already been removed from you. But if you haven't repented, you're going to still feel that conviction from the Holy Spirit. So here's what he says. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Look at verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul is saying, I spent time making you aware, and that awareness caused you pain, but he said that pain was necessary. That pain and that sorrow and that grief were a very important part of moving you to a place of true repentance. And by the way, you'll never get full restoration from God without true repentance. You won't get, full, you won't get true restoration from God with partial repentance. You won't get true restoration from God with a surface, surface repentance and a surface apology saying a few words, shedding a tear or two. True repentance comes from a heart that has experienced the awareness, the, the brokenness that comes from violating God's law and hurting other people. It's sometimes hard to explain, but I'll tell you this, we all know it when we see it. We all know what true repentance looks like and when it's not there. So Paul said you were grieved into repenting but listen so many people that I've met so many people that I've encountered they want to skip this step they don't want to hear what they did they don't want to hear how it hurt they don't they can't tolerate it they can't hear it and here's why because it causes pain it's difficult to hear isn't it it's difficult to hear what was that I dropped my water bottle hold on a minute oh it's difficult to hear when we've done something wrong because it's painful. And, but here's what, here, I think what I'm trying to get across is for us to understand that pain is not a bad thing. That pain is part of godly grief that's going to lead us to repentance. And so what we need to do is we need to embrace that that season and knowing it's not going to stay again going back to physical therapy if, if you're if you're if you're yelling at the physical therapist saying I can't do that it hurts they're going they're going to say you got to push through you got to push through it's okay that it hurts it's going to hurt but you have to push through in order to get here so so healing and restoration is the same thing it is going to hurt the pain of it is going to hurt asking people in your life hey I, you have an open door to, to talk to me about how this affected you, etc. That's going to hurt. That's gonna feel, you're going to feel the pain of it. But I, what I would suggest is don't run from it, but instead embrace it and allow it in a place of humility and allow that, that pain to push you towards true godly repentance. But a lot of people want to skip this step. But the truth is, the more you feel the pain and the weight of what you did, the more pain you will experience, 
the more pain you experience, the more you will truly repent never to return to that sin again. Why? Because that's how pain works. That's the point of pain. The point of pain is that when you experience it and it hurts real bad, you never do it again. Have you guys ever experienced certain things in your life that were so painful you never did them again? I still have certain memories. You know, if you touched a hot stove, I remember one time I burnt my leg on a, uh, on a hot muffler of an ATV. Woo, never did that again. I think every single time I get on one, I think about it. <laughs> Keep that leg away. <laughs> Wear pants. We've, we've all had a few experiences like that that were just so painful. You never, you never, ever, ever forget them and you never, ever, ever repeat it because it was just so painful. That's the point of pain. So that when you do something that's horribly wrong and it causes tremendous pain, you repent, you turn from it, you never do it again. Look at how often God allowed pain in Scripture for that very purpose. Go read the book of Judges. Go read the book of Exodus. Go read how many times God let people experience the result of their choices and their decisions, the consequences of that, so that it would cause pain in their life and they would never do it again. Even good parenting, we allow this our children to experience difficulty and pain from bad choices so that they don't repeat it. Because sometimes they can learn a lot more from the pain than they can from you just telling them, hey, don't do that. So the truth is, the more pain you experience over what you've done, the more likely it is that you'll never return to that same sin again. A person who keeps returning to the same sin over and over again, there's just not enough pain associated with it. They haven't, they haven't lost enough. It hasn't cost them enough. So they keep going back to it. That's why we say a lot of times, well, they hadn't hit rock bottom yet, I guess. And some people are just so knuckleheaded, I guess it's going to take that. I guess it's going to take that level of pain and loss in their life before they realize, hey, I think I should stop doing this. But that's how pain works, and that's why we experience pain, is to prevent us from doing the same things that are bad for us over and over again. True spiritual maturity is realizing that restoration is coming, but there's a painful process first. And every time I see an immature Christian, they're wanting to skip that first process. They're just wanting to get to this end. Hey, shouldn't we all just forgive? Everybody ought to just forgive me. Well, I just move on. I said I was sorry. Isn't that enough? Come on. Just forgive me. Let's move on. That, that's just spiritual immaturity, not understanding the process of true restoration and true repentance. No, it's coming. Restoration's coming, but there's a painful process first. Immaturity says, even though I've hurt you, I don't like hearing about it because it makes me feel bad. So I need you to just get over it with a little surface apology, even though we haven't actually really dealt with the core issue yet. Maturity says, I know and understand that there's going to be a process to this, and I'm willing to go through it in order for not only me to get restoration, but you to get restoration, and everybody that I've affected as well. So, there are the stages of repentance that we're talking about. Number one is awareness of, of what's happened, the pain that comes, step two, the, the pain and the sorrow and the grief that comes as a result of your awareness, and then step three is the actual repentance. And you see, this is where the repentance really means something. 
This is where the repentance actually carries weight when you know that someone's aware they've experienced the pain associated with it and now they're repenting for what they've actually done. This is where the repentance actually begins to carry some weight. When a person repents out of awareness and true godly sorrow, it will always bring healing and restoration. 2 Corinthians 7.10, we read earlier, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So what is true repentance? Well, there's two words in the Old Testament for the word repent. Now you might be thinking, what is it exactly about repentance that carries this kind of power, this kind of weight? I mean, we do have in Scripture ministries like John the Baptist where it seems like his whole ministry was just calling people to repent. Can you imagine? Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. From the Old Testament time period, he was the greatest prophet, and his whole message was repent. He didn't have to do a lot of sermon prep. It was just the same message every week. Repent. Repent, 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 and be baptized. Repent, turn from your sin, repent. Why is it so... Why did he preach that? Why was his whole ministry about that? Well, it shows us how powerful repentance is. It shows us how necessary and how crucial true repentance is. John the Baptist had an entire ministry that the only message he preached, as far as we know, was repent. Repent. There are two words in the Old Testament for repent. They're kind of what you might expect. The first one is uh, nakam, if I'm saying it right. And it is a change of mind or heart. So this deals with what's going on internally. So the first is when you repent and you say, I'm sorry, it's coming out of that godly grief, right? You, you realize what you've done and you don't want to do it anymore. And this is what all apologies are made of, if they're, if they're right. This is nakam, it's, it's, it's a change of mind or heart. And it's, it's dealing with the feelings of sorrow and regret. So when I apologize to you, I'm walking, in, I'm walking this out, the nakam that the word is used there. I'm repenting. I'm, in other words, I'm apologizing and I'm telling you that I'm sorry. And it means something. You know, it's, it's significant. We're, we're called to do that. But it's not the primary word for repent in the Old Testament. The primary word is the word shuv. It's over 1,000 times, one th over 1,000 times this word is in the Old Testament, and it literally, the literal meaning is to turn. To turn. So there's the first part, we repent, we apologize, but you haven't done the real repentance yet, which is to actually turn. Have you ever had somebody in your life like that, that they say all the right words, they apologize, but then they keep doing the same thing over and over again? Well, that's not true repentance. That they're 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 doing the first part to apologize up here, and it may even been it may have even been sincere, but they never take that next step to actually permanently turn from what they've been doing and what they've been participating in. Can I just say, and we know this already instinctively, but can I just say that to nakam or to apologize to repent mentally, that's the easy part, and even that's not that easy. We all have experienced that. But that's the easy part. The hard part is to repent truly by turning. I, I saw this image in my mind. I wish I'd had time to actually uh, 
create this illustration for y'all. But I wanted to have like a little toy piano up here. And so to Nakam is I go to the little piano and I, and I play a few notes, you know, and, and we're imagining that that's wrong somehow or, or sinful somehow. I, I play a few little notes and then I feel bad and I walk away and I go, ah, oh, I repent. I, I shouldn't have done that. And then a few days later, I come back over and I, I play a few little notes and then I, I nakam, I repent and I walk away. I say, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have. But the word shuv to turn here is taking a bat and smashing that little piano. Okay, smashing it to bits and going, and then and then a few days later coming over there to play the piano and going, well there ain't no there ain't no piano, so I have to turn from what I've been doing because I I truly repented and so I I put myself in a position where I couldn't do that anymore. It's like people, I'm not going to get off anything anything specific, but I'll just say. There's a lot of things in people's lives that they repent for, but then they put absolutely no parameters or no boundaries in their life to prevent themselves from doing it again. You haven't truly repented. Because true repentance is walking into a room with no exits and going, I'm here now. I've burned every bridge. There's no way out. I'm not leaving myself an opportunity or a way to do that anymore because I've truly repented and turned from that. So... It's good to have the change of mind, the change of heart. That's the first necessary step that comes from the awareness and the pain and sorrow and all of that. And and it leads you to the point of apologizing, repenting, grieving, crying, writing letters, whatever you got to do. Okay, it leads you to that part. But now the the turning, the true turning is is the difficult part. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent. Therefore, that's nakam. Oh, it's, it's Greek here, but same meaning. Repent, therefore, and turn back. See, the two things go together. Repent and turn. That your sins may be blotted out. Matthew 3, 8. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So great, you repented, but now let's go bear some fruit. Let's go bear some fruit that actually matches the words that you said. Okay, Ezekiel 18.30 Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn. You will see these two things together so often in Scripture. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Acts 26.20 but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So you see, this is the, the two separate things, and I'm trying to get this in your mind. Because just because you repent, uh, uh, so many of us, the whole concept is when we think of repentance, especially with people or God, what we think of is just saying, I'm sorry. Even with God, we think repentance just means, God, please forgive me for my sin. I apologize. I never do it again. Lord, just please forgive me. And now we're forgiven. But that's not the complete picture of what repentance is. Complete repentance is a permanent turning away from the thing that you're repenting for. Otherwise, you actually have not repented. Now, you may have said you were sorry, but that's not 
the scriptural understanding of what true repentance is. True repentance is saying, I'm sorry, and then permanently turning from that thing with no intention to ever return again. Not leaving little loopholes and, and ways to get back and, oh, I dabble in it some here and then come. It's a permanent turning. I'm, I'm done with this forever and I will create boundaries in my life and accountability, whatever I need to do to make sure that I never go back there again. So he said, you should repent. This is Acts 26, 20. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Proverbs 28, 13. Excuse me, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes. Same thing as turn. He who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. So, if we're going to experience a fresh start, if we're going to experience a do-over, there's a path and there's, there are steps to that. And everybody, if you're in here, um, you may be past this step. And if you are, no need, no need to revisit. Maybe you've already been through the, the pain, the sorrow, the repentance, and now you're on to the next step. Great. Don't let condemnation come in and, and send you back there. If, you, if, you've already, if you're already past that point, awesome. But if not, this is where you have to start. This is where you have to start. And I would encourage you, don't rush through it. Don't rush through it. And you can ask yourself a few questions. Who do I need to talk to? Who, what, what conversations do I need to have? What questions do I need to ask them? What permission do I need to give them to explain and, and share and talk about the, the things that I did? Um, you know, what, what letters do I need to write? Who do I need to be in contact with so that I can make sure I fully understand what I've did? What scriptures do I need to read to see how I violated God's word? Because I'm going to tell you, there are times that maybe I was thinking a certain way and I just didn't, I didn't have awareness of why what I was doing was wrong. But I was able to see something in Scripture that caused the light bulb to go off. I was able to see something in Scripture and go, whoa, this is how God feels about this. I didn't quite understand that it was that serious. I didn't know this is how God felt about it. So never underestimate the power of bringing in the Word of God to see what does the Word say about what you've done or what you're doing to bring that light and revelation. Again, it's, that's not the purpose of condemning you. It's the purpose of bringing awareness so that you never go back there again. And those things will be tools to you as you go on. If you ever have a, a time of weakness or a moment where you want to turn back, that, that scripture of God's law will remind you, no, you can't go back there. You can't do this again because, because you're going to violate the heart of God. You're going to violate the law of God. So it's important to keep those things before you. And look, uh, if I had to guess, there are people in this room that are all throughout that process, the process of restoration. We're going to get all the way to the end of full and complete restoration over the next four weeks. And there are many of you that are right at that very first beginning 
stage and beginning step. And there are some that are, you know, in the process. But I want to encourage you, whatever step you're at, whatever step you're at, I want you to know God is with you. God is with you. God is for you. He's not here to judge you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to walk you through every, every part and every process of it. You are not alone. You are not alone in this. God is with you. Your church is with you. And look, you need to be encouraged. There are many, many in the, in the 13 years that we've been doing One Life, there are so many examples of people that have walked this process out. I, I remember receiving a letter one, one time from a lady that they, they were really good. They were in a really good spot. They made some really bad decisions and ruined a lot of things in their life. And, and they were coming to me. They were broken. They were, they were just, they, they were feeling that pain, that sorrow, all of that. And they were wanting to get some things right. And, and I remember receiving a letter from them about a year later. And I, I'll never forget the thing she said in the letter. She said a bunch of things about how God had restored so many things in their life. But one of the things she said at the end, she said, so much faster and so much quicker than we deserved. And I remember reading that thinking, man, isn't that God? Isn't that the way that God works? And, and I just remember she said, man, so many things have turned around. She said it was so much faster and so much quicker than we, than we deserved. And God will walk you through that process. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, right up here on the second row, we got Mr. Sullivan. Sullivan, give everybody a little wave. I'll see Sullivan. We love Sully. Um, I, I didn't tell him I was going to share this, but, you know, some of you don't know Sullivan's story completely, and we're not going to get into that this morning. But uh, about three years ago, Sully, Sully came in from Longleaf. And I remember the first Sunday that Sully came, because he's hard to miss, you know, big guy coming in. And I don't remember if he was in scrubs or what, but he came in and sitting back there. And all I'm going to say, in the last three years, the difference that you see in his life. And sometimes people wonder, you know, man, who's that guy up there that just loves to praise and worship and like get crazy for God? Well, if you'd been through what he's been through, you'd understand. You'd understand. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes when people are praising and worshiping, it's, 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 a, it's not just a little surface thing like, oh God, you're good. They have all these memories of where they could be. All these thoughts of what things could have been. All the places they were three years ago. And where they're at with God now, it just has got to come out. Because, my God, look at what God's done in my life. And I've watched this process in Sullivan's life. I've watched it in so many people's lives. And God is a master. He is a master at taking people that are completely broken. And their life is in shambles and restoring it completely. But listen, I've also seen I've also seen people come in that don't want any part of what we're talking about. They want the end result, but they don't want to do it God's way. And I'm just telling you, if you don't yield and you don't submit yourself to God and you don't break your heart and you don't humble yourself before God, you'll never experience what we're talking about. You'll never experience true restoration of your relationship with God, of, of things in your life that God could bring back to life that you thought were dead. Because he is, he is also amazing at resurrecting things. He is the resurrection and the life. 
So breathing life and new life and resurrection life into things that you thought were dead, he's a master at it, but it'll never happen, you doing it your way. You, you will, and I'm going to tell you over the next four weeks, I'm going to lay out the process for God. I'm going to lay out the process that God gives us in Scripture. I gave you step one. If you will listen, if you can't be here, watch online. Because many of you are walking through this, and you need everything we're going to talk about here. And I'm just telling you, I watch people, and they go in circles and circles, round and round, same mountain, same problem. And they, and they never get out of that loop and start heading up the mountain to conquer it. And I don't want to see, I want as many people as possible to understand, this is for you. This is, this is for, you can do this. You can do this, but you have to start here. Amen?